Well, if you would, Acts chapter 5, we're going to get uh, to this passage, and we're going to be finishing off, after 13 weeks, our series in Acts. We're calling it uh, season 1 of Acts. So we'll come back next year, and we'll pick up uh, from chapter 6, and we'll move forward from there. But chapter 5 today, and what you're going to see is we actually get kind of a, uh, on one hand, a recap of what's been happening, but we get kind of the main components. This is uh, these characteristics of the church that have happened as the church has grown here at the beginning. We're going to see that in this chapter. I remind you this morning, the great theme of the book of Acts is the coming of Christian power. That's what we've been talking about and the building of the Christian church. And this Christian church is the Holy Spirit. Now, don't confuse that anything else is at the core of what's happening. We've talked during this series about skill sets. We've, we've talked uh, about those type of things. But the Holy Spirit at the core is really what is driving this and the surrendering to the Holy Spirit. So the building of the church happens through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. That's what we find in the book of Acts, and that's what we find in our life as well. When we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, we will see the building and growing of the church. Thank you for that mid-sermon wave back there. I appreciate that. Um, and so that's what we want to be about. Now, when we say the building of the church, we don't necessarily mean this building here and getting new chairs and things like that. We're talking about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ and putting their faith in Christ, becoming followers of Jesus. Listen, I told you earlier in the year, I would love to see every person at Windover Hills this year in 2021 kind of be responsible, assuming, you know, you're partnering with the Holy Spirit for seeing someone in your life coming to know Jesus Christ and becoming a follower of Jesus. That's what was happening in the early church. And that's what we want to see happen now. So let's take a look at this passage, Acts chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 12. We'll go through verse 16. Now you'll see there's more in chapter 5. You can read that on your own, make that part of your own devotions, but we'll just focus on these verses as we wrap up this series this week. Here's what it says. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. They would come together regularly at Solomon's porch. No one from outside the church dared to join them, even though the people spoke highly of them. Indeed, more and more believers in the Lord, large numbers of both men and women were added to the church. As a result, they would even bring the sick into the main streets and lay them on cots and mats so that at least Peter's shadow could fall on some of them as he passed by. Even large numbers of persons from towns around Jerusalem would gather, bringing the sick and those harassed by unclean spirits, everyone was healed. The word of God for the people of God. So let's just jump right into it because we're going to see three components that this really makes up what is going on in the church. And it won't be the first time that you've heard these because when we started in chapter one, verse one, really, and read up till this point, we have seen this show up in our last 13 weeks. The first is this. Miracles were a huge aspect of the early church. No doubt about it. From the beginning, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in that upper room, we started to see supernatural things happen. Things that we would put kind of in that miracle category. We started to see them first speak in languages they did not know and people would understand. That was a miracle, right? But we saw healings. 
over and over, we get this understanding that people came and they were healed. Now, we think of that, that's Jesus stuff, right? I mean, Jesus did that. We read that in the Gospels. But now what we're seeing is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of these believers, these apostles especially, that they are actually doing healing as well. And it's a significant thing in the early church. We see in verse 12, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. This is even a broader category of just healing. These type of things that were almost unexplainable. They didn't quite make sense unless something more powerful was the source. Listen, we could stop right there. And you could just receive that. And you could own that as your own Christianity, and it might even transform your understanding of Christianity if you were to say, something has to happen in my Christianity that comes from a higher power. Like, it can't be me. It can't just be me and my understanding of theology as I read this, right? Or my attendance at church. There's got to be something supernatural that happens in my life. Even if it's not you going out and healing people, okay? Don't, don't misinterpret that. But there's something supernatural about our faith. That is what we're talking about with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's Christianity as well. We're seeing that in the early church here. Now, there's some debate as to whether this directive of healing, because they were sent to heal, was given just for the apostles, those kind of chosen 12 that followed Jesus, or if this was something that was to be for all believers, that all believers would go out and heal. Um, and I suppose if we rolled 2,000 years now and there's still debate among biblical scholars, we're not going to solve that this morning in a, in a short sermon um, in there. But what we do know is this indeed is happening. Healing, miracles, signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit is doing something where the physical Jesus is no longer present. He spoke about that. He predicted that. He actually said, you will do greater things than you have seen me do. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? That's what he said to the disciples, and that's what we're seeing happen here. We find in verse 15, it was to such a high level, they would even bring the sick out into the main streets and lay them on cots and mats so that at least Peter's shadow could fall on some of them as he passed by. Now, we don't really get a commentary on that. We, we don't know that there was actually power in Peter's shadow when it came by. But we're understanding people thought of the early church as there is healing that's happening. There is power that's happening. If we could just get close to this, maybe even we could be healed or the person that they were laying on these cots and these mats. Peter, we know, had been a part of healing and some of the other stuff we've read, so he certainly had a special gift of healing. But then the final thing that, that Luke gives us in this little section is everyone was healed. Now, hyperbole is certainly a, a, a form of writing that we see uh, in the Gospels and we see here possibly as well, meaning maybe not every single person right, was healed. But it's speaking to this. So many people are being healed. This is not like one isolated incident. This is a defining characteristic of the early church. These type of signs and wonders and miracles and healings that were happening. Now there's kind of a, a relationship with this word for healing 
that, we, that shows up, and also the word restore. You know, the word restore. And Jesus actually uses this word many, many times. So when we think in terms of this, then it goes beyond just physical healing, but the point is that Jesus was transformative, that he was about bringing life. And this shows up in a real strong practical understanding when they would see somebody who was physically healed. That's what Jesus came to bring, life to people, renewal to people, restoration to people. And that's what he brings today. Listen, equally, when I see a marriage and I'm sitting in my office talking with somebody and and you're just like, from worldly terms, this is done. It's over. Like it's collapsed. I don't see any way forward. You know, I I want to say, you know, you might want to think about attorneys. But because of the constant understanding and push I see from God's word and the Holy Spirit that there is restorative nature of Jesus Christ that he can bring healing to these things. Marriages, relationships, uh, anything broken that he can bring healing. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's super difficult. And it takes a while to walk through. But that's what he wants to bring. That is the nature of Christ. And we understand that through these healings that we see in the early church. The second thing we see uh, that's uh, definitely a component of the early church is that gathering was important. We get several passages here in these first five chapters about how they gathered and how they came together. And that was a big deal. You might say, well, what's the big deal about it? Well, there was a form of community that was happening within the Jewish religious system. There's no doubt, right? But it was fairly individualized, too. You went to the temple to either give sacrifice, to offer worship, to give of your tithes or your offerings, but that was often an individual thing. In fact, one uh, writer I was reading this week actually compared that to what he sees in the contemporary church today, that we often come to church... We do our individual thing while we're here for the hour, hour and a half, or however long the preacher rambles on, right? And then we move on, and we do our thing throughout the week. That is not what the early church was. And we get this glimpse over and over of the gathering and the community that was part of the church. Here's what we find in verse 12. It says, they would come together regularly at Solomon's porch. Now, that might be a passage you read on your own and you just kind of fly past, right? Um, Solomon's Porch, the first time I had really started to study this passage, was a coffee shop in Wilmore, Kentucky. So that's what I thought, Solomon's Porch, right? Solomon's Porch, it looked like this. The temple was, was huge. And around the temple, around the courtyards, there would have been hallways with columns, porches, you might call it. Long hallways, massive hallways. And so what would happen is teachers or rabbis, they would actually hold class in those areas, in those hallways. And their students would gather around them and they would listen to the rabbi teach. And this would happen all over, all over the temple. And so here what they're saying is they would actually hold church. These early Christians, these early followers of Jesus would come together. In fact, when we think about terms of, uh, you might have heard the, the house church movement in the early church, right? Because they would meet in houses, right? 
And we'll talk about that more later. But it's also clear they were doing large church. Everyone was trying to come together. Do you remember the numbers we're talking about? We've talked about it a couple times. One time 3,000 were added. Another time in chapter 4, 5,000 were added. There's this other passage that just said daily men and women were being added as our passage says today. This is a huge group that's coming together to either listen to the apostles or to be together. We talked about the sharing of things as well. Uh, imagine some dis distributing was being done in those gatherings as well. They were coming together. Now, before we try to organize it out and say, oh, well, you know, there's like church once a week. They were coming together, right? Um, we don't know that. We don't know the day exactly. But we do know it was super regular that they, in some way they were getting together. Because look at the next verse. Um, uh, excuse me. Look at Acts. Uh, excuse me. I missed my own point, right? Yeah, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. Like, we find every day. Like, can you imagine if I said, listen, I know we've been doing this thing every Sunday for a long time. Some of you have been in the church for, you know, I mean, Rushi's been here since I've been here, and you were here before, right? Yeah. Well, I know we've been doing this once a month, uh, once a week thing. We're going to start tomorrow, Rushi, every day, right? Monday. We'll do it at my house some. We'll do it at your house some, right? We'll do it here at the church some, the bigger gathering place. Every day, we're getting together. Now, let's just be honest. What does that group size look like? <laughs> it's not going to be that big, right? So it might be me, right? Because we don't think in these terms. But there was something. There was no mandate, you can't find anywhere that they said, all right, here's what's going to happen. You have to show up every day. We're keeping attendance. Nothing like that. There was something that compelled them about this community and what was going on that they longed to be together. And they were there regularly, either in the temple, like we just talked about, Solomon's porch, or in each other's homes as well. There are sometimes in our anonymous culture, we lose what God has to offer through community. Because opening the doors to community, let's just face it, it can be a little difficult sometimes, right? It can be a little risky to put yourself out there and feel like, oh, well, maybe nobody wants to draw to me. Or um, maybe nobody saw me the way I, I was thinking they, they would see me. Or whatever the case may be. And so we do, like this author I read this week, come in, do our thing, head out. But, you know, it's interesting. When we go do hobbies, whatever it may be, whatever you like to do, you like to get into, community is almost always an aspect of those things. It develops. It opens up. If it's your kids in a ball league, it seems to open up. How much more should that be here? We find this all the way back in the Old Testament. Look at uh, the book of Joshua. There wasn't a single word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua failed to read aloud in the presence of the entire assembly of Israel or Israel. Uh, what was going on there is when he would read the law, they would gather everyone together. So it would be like, you know, if I'm reading the word, let's say we're scattered around the church. We'd say, hey, let's get all the kids in here. Let's get everyone together. And I'm going to read God's word so that we all hear it. That's what they would do. They'd bring everyone together. And there's one particular time that we're reading here where they read the whole law, 
all of it, right? You ever got back and you read the law of the Old Testament back in the Pentateuch? You know, that's not a five-minute read. Read it all, and they listen. But here's the interesting thing. This word assembly that shows up here, it's actually a Hebrew word that's then used, translated into a Greek word, and the Greek word is ekklesia. You might have heard that word before. It's the word that actually most often gets translated into the word church. It actually means assembly, gathering. That's what this was. So when we say church, we don't think, hey, there's a church. If we're driving by and there's a building and it's empty, like that's not the understanding of the term. It is when God's people come together, when they assemble together, usually for a purpose, for a reason. That is the word, this assembly, ecclesia, church, gathering. And this is important. This built the early church, this time together. And it would make sense then that the writer of Hebrews would be so emphatic that he would say, don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some have gotten into the habit of doing. Listen, if you didn't know Hebrews 10, 25, if you had never heard that verse in your life, right? I could post that on Facebook today without Hebrew attached to it, and you would just think it's a modern-day quote speaking to modern-day Christians. Because this is one of the greatest times where we have people professing Christians that are no longer gathering or no longer coming together as church, not as a building, but as assembly, a gathering of believers to encourage one another, to challenge one another. This is that kind of day and age. In fact, it's very common for even a Christian to say, I don't really need church to be a Christian. Here's the problem with that statement. It is Jesus himself that instituted the church. It's Jesus that built the church. It's Jesus that told the disciples what would happen in the early church and how prevalent the Holy Spirit would be in building the church. Now, would it make sense to you? It certainly doesn't make sense to me that we would then say, we don't really need church. So here's top five reasons I thought I'd put in there of, of why people stop attending church. People, they're going to church and they stop attending church. One, bad experience, right? You just have a bad experience. You have a bad relationship. Somebody wronged you or you perceive somebody wrongs you. Um, there are times when something really wrong and bad has happened. The church is not perfect, right? And so oftentimes even needs to be held accountable. Bad experience. That makes sense to us. The second one is interesting. It's consumer-driven. More and more, we have come to the point where we're expecting something for me from the church. Or better said, expecting something that I like my way. Before 1960, uh, it was very interesting, as I read this this week, there was no thought of entertaining people at church. There's no thought of trying to be attractional, trying to draw people in. And then there was uh, a couple churches uh, on either, either coast, well, one's Midwest and one on, on the West Coast, that really ushered in the contemporary church. And for 20 years, it was a wonderful idea, wonderful, reaching people who otherwise would never go to church. But as we often do with wonderful things, we swing that pendulum pretty far, don't we? To the point where 
church in many settings has gotten so attractional. I was joking with somebody yesterday uh, who doesn't go to church, and we were talking about getting ice cream. And I was joking with him. I said, one day I'm going to say, you know, like, hey, you're going to church, and you're just like you did about ice cream. You're going to go, oh, yeah, oh. And I go, oh, well, maybe if church offers ice cream. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, hey, Pastor Anson, we got to do ice cream tomorrow. <laughs> can, can we get that together? Because we think that way. And so if it's not quite hitting us the way we perceive or what we think that need is, or if we get ourselves in a comp- a consumer-driven mindset. I was listening to a pastor this week, and as he stood on stage, it was a wonderful message. There was one thing that just didn't connect with me. He stood up and he said, we have one of the best youth ministry programs in the nation. And I'm like, that's consumer-driven statements. So that happens. That's one of the reasons. We move. That's another reason. Like, like Warnock, you're moving. This is the last week with you, right? You get to be the example. You know, it's easy to get down in Charlotte, and then you don't find a new church. Now, you guys have already talked about it. You're, you're on the hunt, so, so uh, you're good to go. But that's so easy. When I lived in Arizona, when we pastored out there, what we would see is people were moving out to the outskirts of the new communities that were being built as Phoenix was one of the fastest-growing cities in the nation at the time. And they would move out, and they would drive in for only so long. And then they quit driving in because it was a chore. It was a long way away, right? 25 minutes or so uh, across city streets. That's a long time to get to church. But many would just stop going to church altogether. And this happens often with a move. Here's a big one. Other activities take priority. You just start doing other things on Sunday mornings. Your kids get to the age where you start the travel ball, right? And I guarantee just about all of your travel ball directors and coaches are not thinking about the Sabbath. They're not thinking about church. And if they are, they're telling you, because we have been told this ourselves, we're, we're a sports family, we, can't you, doesn't your, your church do it online? Couldn't you watch later? Like, yes, but viewing a video on Tuesday is not church. That's not this ecclesia and this gathering we're talking about. You miss a week here or there. Okay, we all do that, right? But you know how these activities sometimes can take priority, whether it's your kids' activities, your own activities, and they can become the dominant thing, and we start to lose our church altogether. And here's the final one. This makes me, my heart sad. I couldn't find community. And there's many times where even a church that does a great job trying to connect people in There'll be somebody who says, I just couldn't find community there. Just couldn't find a way to connect. Even here at Wendover Hills in my last 10 years, the saddest times is when I've talked to somebody who stopped attending. They said, we really tried and we just couldn't find connection. I hate that. In fact, there's sometimes like I want to go right up to the pulpit and talk to the whole church about it, right? But I don't know how to do that without coming off chastising. Because we want to be a place where people find community as well. Those are the top reasons. Here's what's not on the list, right? Don't challenge me to share Jesus. Like, not a lot of people say, I'm not going to church ever again because they just don't challenge me to share Jesus. In fact, sometimes people say, I'm not going to church because they challenge me to share Jesus too much, right? I mean, get off this Acts series already, Pastor, right? You know, let's move on to something else. 
don't challenge me to invite others. Not many people say, I, I'm not going to church because they just never tell me to invite my neighbors to come along with me. In fact, it goes the other way on that sometimes as well. Or how about, don't challenge me to be discipled. Not many people say, I'm not going to go to church anymore because they keep challenging me to be discipled, right? Or they don't challenge me to be discipled. Sometimes that goes the other way also. The gathering is still important, and we're seeing that in the book of Acts. Here's the third thing. Christianity was open to everyone. Like, this is an all skate. Do you remember that? You know, at this, right? That's still a term, isn't it? You go over to the skating rink. You guys went over with the kids to the skating rink. Is there still an all skate? No? Okay, all right. All right. Just, just say yes, and I'll feel really good. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, the all skate is when, like, it's everybody. Everybody can go out on the floor at the same time. It's not the kids or, I don't know, couples. It's not, yeah. Uh, it was, I never couple skated. Never had anyone to couple skate. I needed the all-skate. So it was for everyone, this Christianity thing, everyone. Listen to this in verse 14. It said, more and more believers in the Lord, large numbers of both men and women were added to the church. Who was coming to know Jesus? Well, it was mostly the Jewish people of his day. It's mostly the people who understood the Old Testament that were looking for a Messiah that said, okay, this sounds like it. We're bought in. But there were many non-Jews as well. There was many people that were like, we don't have, I mean, we don't really have any knowledge of the Old Testament. We don't know about this type of thing. We just know what is going on with this group. We want in. We want that. We want to be a part of that, that community or that, that supernatural or that what was going on. We want to be a part of that. And so there are people from all over. It actually says even large numbers of persons, get this, don't fly past it, from towns around Jerusalem would gather. And we're talking about communities and regions around Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem. And you may not think a big deal about that because what happens if you want to buy a new home and you're like, hey, we want a little bit of affordable or bigger home for the family. You just move to the outskirts, right? You move up to one of the cities just outside of our area and you drive in. No problem. That's not the mentality here. In fact, you'd stay in Jerusalem here. I mean, these would be kind of the, this would be the, the good group of former Israelites, right? But scattered in the regions around, there would have been different conflicts with other, other members of the, the greater Israelite family there. Take Samaritans, for example. You remember how contentious it was between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, we're finding that even Samaritans were probably part of people coming to know Jesus Christ. This was for everyone. And that's a big, big deal. It's a big deal. Because what we're going to find is if it was for everyone here, in just a little while here, we'll discover it next year when we hit season two of this series, there was a time of torment with the church where they were scattered everywhere throughout the Roman Empire. And when they got everywhere, here's an amazing supernatural thing they found. There was already believers there. There was already people who heard the message at Pentecost. There was already people that heard the message right here from other regions and towns, and they were scattered. There was already a group of people who knew Jesus, and they were able to launch a church there because a new assembly and gathering there because of these believers. That's pretty powerful. 
I saw on Facebook this week this quote. As you get older, you really just want to be surrounded by good people, people that are good for you, good to you, and good for your soul. And I thought, what a beautiful Facebook quote, right? I mean, many of us would read that and go, oh, that's right. But you know, I read that and I go, no, that's not what we want. We want to be surrounded by people that need to know Jesus Christ. We want to be surrounded by people that we can offer Jesus to and give Jesus. Now, I'd love to be around some people close to that are good for me, that we're kind of together on this thing, that can build into me and I can build into them. But I don't ever want to lose sight of that group of people that are lost, that need to know Jesus Christ. In fact, it was Jesus who said he came to seek and save the lost. That's what we found in the early church. It was for everyone. Question for you, how big is your view of everyone? When it comes to people who need to know Jesus, when it comes to people in your life, like how big is your view of everyone? That's a pretty big view that the early church had. Because you've got to understand, we'll find out later in this next year when we walk through the series, when the door opened up and they had the challenge of thinking about, this is open to Gentiles too? This is open to non-Jewish people? That was a battle they had to work through and figure out. But God is saying, no, this is open for everyone. It leads us to our last statement here. Take a look at it in your notes. I want to make sure you see this one. If this is open to everyone... If we're seeing over and over in the book of Acts that, that these supernatural things were happening, that gathering was important, that people were coming to know Jesus, lots of, as it says, men and women coming to know Jesus, then we've got to remember, and we've got to boil down to this, that we have to understand. And this is what I want to send you away as we wrap up this series. Eventually, someone has to tell people about Jesus. Someone's got to do it, right? Somebody's got to do it. Like we sit back and think, well, I guess my pastor will do that. You know, he'll do it. She'll do it. We'll send our pastor out. Make it happen, right? I'll never see the people that are in your sphere of influence. It'll never happen. You're probably not inviting me to your work. Neil's never invited me to his work to talk to people, right? It just, it doesn't work that way, right? It'd be weird if you did. Oh, eventually... You have to share Jesus with others. You have to tell people about Jesus. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you walk down the hallway of your job this week and just start announcing the name Jesus left and right and into every doorway, but you have to build the relationship. You have to open up the door, and you have to look where the Holy Spirit is, is telling you, now share Jesus. Now speak Jesus into this person. Someone has to tell people about Jesus. If we took telling people about Jesus out of the book of Acts, all this stuff we're celebrating and seeing happening, it's not happening. Because that's how God chooses to work. So let's pray for this. Um, and if anything, if, if you've been pushed or challenged, maybe even, let's be honest, maybe even turned off a little bit about all of the sharing Jesus talk in this series. I want to just give you a little time before the Spirit in this prayer time as we kind of close down this series and we focus on that avenue that somebody's got to tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for the book of Acts. And Lord, we've only hit five chapters. There's so much more to work through. I look forward to the day when we're doing that together again. But Father, till then, would you challenge us? Father, if there be anybody that you still need to kind of speak a word to, to convince, may it be your words, not mine, your words that we saw in the book of Acts that encourages us and inspires us to share Jesus with someone, to just step out and to do it. And Father, <clears throat> if, if there's any way that you need to empower us, train us up, build us up, would we right now, even today, make a commitment to say, I'm going to get learned, I'm going to get trained, I'm going to learn, I'm going to get discipled in this thing so that I can learn exactly what we're talking about so I can go out and with confidence and boldness do this. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that are before us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so this week, I want to encourage you and we'll send you out uh, to do, you can either go out and share Jesus at very least, though, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, I want you to invite somebody along with you next Sunday, somebody to come along and they don't have to say yes, right? But just inviting them is a small form of sharing Jesus or at least letting you know, letting them know Jesus is important to you. So inviting somebody along with you next Sunday morning. I did it yesterday. I was at a competition and I tried to work it and I offered a few invites. Got all no's yesterday. And that's okay. That's just how it is sometimes. But invite somebody along with you uh, next week. Hey, this